Some days it feels like we're drowning in data, but data isn't knowledge. Data without context or the expertise to understand it is just something eating up storage space in your warehouse. That's where being insights driven comes in. Insights driven organizations focus on generating actionable insights rather than just collecting and munging data. Insights drive better decisions. Welcome to the Insights Factory. Hello, welcome to the Insights Factory. I'm Ian Cook, CTO here at Seek and your host. We've made it all the way to episode three. Episode one, we had an introduction to the idea of insights, what they are, what defines them, what people can do with them. Episode two, we dug in much more into the technical side of insights, the ability to move data around, get something useful from it, and deliver it to the people. Today, we're going to talk about who those people are. And to talk about that, I've got three great people with me here. First is Sean Klein, industry principal at Seek, who you met during episode one. We've got Andrew Kim, Seek's VP of Solutions. Andrew's a recognized figure among top data professionals for his work with Alteryx and Tableau, and having top accreditation in both and just known across the industry is a terrific guy. And then JP Gressman seeks Insights Product Manager. JPG has been a Seek OG starting in the days when it was Seek Data, helping some of the best known CPG brands create real change by harnessing their data. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks, Ian. We're really excited to be here. All right. So as I mentioned, what we want to talk about today are the real and possibly the most important part of this chain of insight from data all the way to end use. So really, insights are only useful when people act on them. But I want to know more about who that someone is. So let's start with Andrew Kim and say, when you think about insights and the people who use them, what kind of person do you get in your head and what kind of people have you worked with in the past? That's a great question, Ian. So I think a lot of the times we think that it's going to be somebody that's super technical or tech savvy, right? And actually find there's a lot of business users that are engaged and individuals who have subject matter expertise that may not necessarily have um, the technical skill sets or honestly even managers that just don't have the time, right, to build some of these things out, but understand directionally where things need to go. And maybe they have some new hires, right? Uh, we had the great recession or sorry, resignation that just passed. So with all of those reg resignations, you have net new people that are coming in and we want to make sure that they get up to speed quickly. So maybe you just recently got a promotion or looking to expand your team. And what we're seeing is those individuals really looking to upskill and increase their efficiencies. Excellent. Sean, you've been in the industry for a bit. When you think about these teams, are they at a certain level in the company? Are they across the company? Is it a specific person within the larger group? Or do these insights have to um, live beyond just someone, one person looking at a dashboard? I think a good, good insight actually lives across the entire organization, specifically on a retailer team. Living here in Bentonville, the teams are structured kind of in a way that includes analysts, sales and replenishment category, a sales function, if you will. So salespeople and then category managers, category advisors, and then executives. But in all stops, all groups use insights to do something for their part of the business. Traditionally, analysts were the ones at the start of this, this kind of this groundswell of data and analytics and, and insights. Analysts were the ones that traditionally harvested the data and did something with it. 
and then presented it, for example, to a salesperson. Today, as I said, all of those functions have some level of accessibility to the insights to do something with. JP, you work with a lot of companies to turn these turn data into these insights and then get them promulgated across the company. Like Sean was saying, who do you find yourself working with mostly, at least at, you know, at the certain level of the company or the type of background? We have worked with big brands down to you know emerging brands where, kind of to Sean's point, we're working directly with the analyst and the business users and trying to create value and understand really first what are the pain points and, and questions they're commonly trying to answer, right? Where do we plug in and help move the needle for an analytics capability that maybe they're early in their journey harvesting that data, or maybe they're, they have a, a more sophisticated footprint of analytics in their organization, and, and we just come in and kind of help move things along, and uh, it's awesome. Oh, that's great. Is there a common background you often deal with in terms of skill sets? Yeah, so skill sets, it can be anyone from someone that's just working with Excel and spreadsheets, someone that is on the receiving end of those spreadsheets, right, that are just focused on the numbers. It could be folks that know SQL and Python or more of the technical person. So it kind of can vary depending on who you're working with. Oh, that's great. So for the kinds of work that to do, to generate these insights, we often see analysts and people, like you said, that are technical, but if they do need to live, like Sean said, beyond the that particular group and across the company, what does that insight have to do and have to look like for people who might not be as technical to use them, to be able to, to move that across the company? What do we need to see out of them? Yeah. So, so first thing that comes to mind for me is like using common visualizations, right? Or, or, or things that are easily digestible, right? Like whenever we're using like a BI tool, using bar charts, big numbers, things that convey the information very clearly and, and pointed. That way, you know, it kind of helps increase your data literacy, get everybody on the same page. And that can be anyone from the business user to the sophisticated analyst that can, everybody can like rally around the same information. Andrew Kim, I think uh, JP brought up something that you're particularly familiar with, which is these BI tools. Is there a way that you've worked with these tools to make sure that audiences get a sense of what it is you're trying to convey? Of course. I mean, we've, I would say a majority of my career, especially on the technical side, has been geared around the self-service analytics tools, right? So if we use those in quotes, so any of the ETL, right, ELT platforms that exist and then visualizations, obviously JP and, are pro and I are probably OGs with Tableau, right? And then Power BI, I remember back when it was in, in beta and only took like a thousand records. <laughs> um, so as we kind of talk about some of these aspects, what you'll notice, JP was highlighting clear visualizations. I mean, everybody loves a good sand key every once in a while, right? But our objective here is to make sure that they're actionable. And if you ask or if you've ever exported sand key data, right? That's not exactly the cleanest data to work with. So that's part of the objective here, right? With insights at large is making sure that they are actionable. So you immediately can pull it up, can take that information. And as we discuss that, right? I think there's two key pieces here. There's with self-service analytics, your objective isn't just the action that happens at the end. It's the speed at which this data moves. There's always going to be a gray area that exists, right? 
So what are those actions that we can take where we're communicating back within the business to showcase and highlight, hey, here's what that percentage is. Maybe it's 5% where we're not sure what the information is either trying to tell us, right, or it's not lining up perfectly. And that could be from a recent acquisition, maybe some aspects where there were returns, right, around some product. And as we're looking at those transactions, we need to be able to highlight that. So whenever we share it with our leaders, we're conveying, hey, we're 95% certain here, right? But we've already identified and we're working on that other 5%. We're not going to hold up the entire business or making decisions for something that we may be aware of or may be a recent development, if that makes sense. It does. So Sean wanted to get in here on one of these points. Go ahead, Sean. Yeah, just thinking along the lines of who's using what and at what level. So if you think about an analyst, an analyst is the one who's paid to dig and uncover kind of root cause. What's happening? Why am I out of stock? Why why is my forecast off? Why, where, and, and then how do I fix it? As that data story turns into an analytic, into an insight, and rolls up the true change, if you will, in one of these retailer groups, as it gets to the, the executive levels, call it a, a salesperson, a director, senior director, VP of those teams, those chunks of data become bigger, as JP mentioned, the big numbers. So a lot of times they live in pictures and colors and lines and things like that. So it's very visual because that person, that executive on that team needs to look at a something, a sales a status or, or, or in-stock percent or something like that and be able to tell very quickly where the business is, the health of the business overall, because they're responsible in aggregate for certain parts. It's the analysts who are going to look at that date item store level type. And again, I'm speaking specific to retail CPG, but they're living in that date item store level environment where they've got to be very granular and they're going to see all the nooks and crannies. And they're looking at numbers where some of the executives are looking at colors and pictures. Excellent. Thank you. So one of the reasons I got hooked into working in data in general was the kinds of things that I think people who find insights like to chase. So this, the, the person who's digging and looking for it is suddenly having that realization and being there and seeing like, ah, this is, there is something truly interesting here. I'd love to go around the horn here and hear examples of when you've worked with people that have come across this or some particular moment you remember where somebody you were working with or what you were working on just turned into a great insight or the, you could see the light shine on somebody's face when you presented them with this to say, here you go. And you just realized that they went, that's what I've been looking for. Let's start with JP. We've got a few of these, but thinking about one in particular, you know, working with the, an emerging brand in the soft drinks industry, uh, soft drink industry, small analytics footprint, and uh, we were able to come in and, you know, work with a new data provider that they had just gotten piped into their data warehouse. And through some of our insights, we were able to surface new distribution opportunities for them, right? Because being an emerging brand, one of your key objectives is, hey, I want to get my product in more places. Like, how can I get this in more stores and more importantly, stores that will, you know, that my product will do well in? that are a good fit for my product or brand. And so we were able to derive an insight from that data that highlighted multiple hundreds and thousands of distribution points for them for a single product, which actually resulted in a $10 million opportunity. Distribution points in this case, just for the audience, are places where things are sold. Like, so every time a, a one particular product shows up at a store, that's a 
that is a distribution point. So you're talking a ton of stores across a ton of products. Right. And this in particular for this insight that we developed, it was that was for one single product across stores that did not have it. And so before we were able to to help create this insight, that information was otherwise buried in the data, right? It was there. We just created the value for them, highlighted that. And and that's, you know, that's a real number, right? Like when you show people that that number and then to Sean's point earlier, visualizing in that, like that's where it gets super exciting. And that's where you start seeing people get super excited about data and being fans and promoters of insights in general, because it leads to good things for the business for all the way down to someone's individual role, right? All right. Thank you, JP. Andrew Kim, how about you next? Yeah. You know, it's funny that we're talking about this because I was just watching the preview for Wonka. So like Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, right? And I I told my wife, I said, first of all, I'm going to have to use this in a post because it that's one of my all-time favorite movies is Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And I think there's that moment when they walk into his world, right? And you really start to see things unveiled and just the full breadth of color that exists. And whenever insights are shared, right, with someone or they have that impact in their life, things just become real, right? It like the breadth and the dreams that you had really become tangible. And I think the first time I experienced that was really within consulting. And the reason I say that is because not that I didn't have the experiences prior working on client side work, right? We built built some amazing things at, at Universal and healthcare and e-commerce. The difference is what my friend Emil said to me is when you join consulting, it's basically three years of work in every one, right? So you're drinking from a fire hose. And all this time I realized that there was a a piece missing for me where I just enjoy helping people as you're kind of talking about, Ian. There's all of these use cases that JP is talking about where not only can you find value in terms of dollars, but in consulting, it was the first time where I had a customer actually give me a hug. And he was like, you gave me my weekend back, right? Like every, every month, I actually lose a weekend because I'm spending the entire weekend working on this report that has to be out on Monday, right? And I look at that and honestly, it, it, it really tears me up a little bit because thinking that you can have that impact on people's lives, right? Like, hey, work's got to get done. We can talk about how technology is advancing things, but it's also advancing expectations, right? So as we look at that, if we can surface those insights faster and they're actionable, that means you get to enjoy simple things, right? Like, like a cup of coffee in the morning, or it could even just be, Hey, I have the weekend with my family and my kids, right? Knowing that the work is taken care of. Wow. That is, that's great. I have never been hugged for the work that I've done. Sean, <laughs> Ian, you if you need hugged? a hug, I'm, I'm here for you, man. I really do appreciate <laughs> it. I, I would take Definitely. you up on it, but unfortunately our arms aren't quite that long. But Sean, how about you? Any hug stories? I, I have been hugged, but just more on the sales side than the, uh, than the analytics side. But I do have kind of a, a fun story to share around this analytics piece 
that we were just talking about, examples of aha moments, thinking about forecast, POS forecast and forecast variance. So that variance is a measurement between actual sales to, to what is being forecasted to be sold. And one thing that uh, many retailers will measure is this, this high level uh, variance. So your percent of sales to forecast. If you're in a 95 range or so, 95% range of actuals to, to forecast, it's okay. We don't need to do much. Typically, it's about a 15% swing before people start to really freak out. So if you're at 95%, you really kind of don't dig into it and, and look for opportunities there. Well, we ended up doing that. And so one thing that we found was the, the products that were being, the units that were being sold in stores were actually selling out before the replenishment order was coming in. So in a week-long measurement, we didn't see the out-of-stocks on a daily basis. So again, everything looked okay. Sales were good. Sales were moving up. And what we, underst we kind of understood from, from running out of inventory on a Wednesday, for example, and the replenishment order would arrive Friday or Saturday, we had two to three days of out-of-stocks. So what we were able to do, and, and replenishment is really driven off of forecast. So if your forecast is low, it will only replenish to the forecast. And you can't go above that forecast unless you exceed in reality what that forecast number is. So what we're able to do is have a long conversation with our counterparts and the replenishment team at the retailer and talk through, let's try to find how high is high. So they allowed us to push inventory outside of the replenishment into specific locations that we felt we could, we could push sales above what the forecast was. Because again, the forecast was stifled by the actual sales. If you only have six on the shelf, you can only sell six. So we were saying, what if we put eight on the shelf or what if we put 10 or 12? How high is high? So we were able to take some of these, these location sales, store location sales, up 30, 40, 50% in some cases. I think, the, I think on one item, the result was like a million dollars in annualized sales that we wouldn't have had had we not been able to, one, identify that, that insight, that, that thing, that aha moment, like, oh, we're running out of stock early before the replenishment order comes in. It also drove us to adjust our replenishment settings to bring inventory in earlier. So we, we were able to then add a second delivery to the week. We didn't have that gap. So we pushed forecast up. We pushed sales up. We, we tweaked our, our replenishment or our logistics patterns, reorder points, things like that. It was just a great success. And, and it was funny, while I didn't get a hug, although it would have been nice, everybody was like super excited because, wow, we've just, we didn't sell any more product. We didn't have to go to the buyer and ask for more distribution. We uncovered something that allowed us to drive more sales into the chain. Everybody was happy. Even even the retailer folks were happy too. Like, good job. That was great. Yeah, they get to make they get a cut of it, right? Absolutely, absolutely. As we as we mentioned in in the first episode, it's really a game of real estate. So the higher we can push that return for them, the more they're going to like that product, that brand, that person, that company. That's terrific. So you're starting to get at something that I was I'm interested in. We've mentioned this word actionable a number of times. And we take action on insights, and that's what makes an insight different from other things. But we're interested in the people who are doing that. So the people have to take an action just for context. What kind of actions do people take from the insights that you've provided? What can they go do? What is the actual step that they can take next? So maybe, Andrew Kim, if you can think of some examples first. Yeah, so as we look at what it actions people can take. I think one of the biggest ones is obviously going to be conducting orders, putting that into a POS system, right? Working either with your manufacturing team 
right? So it could literally be with a plant, right? So as an example, I've worked with large bread companies in the past. Bottling companies as well will typically have this. We just passed the 4th of July, right? So a great example where you really have a, a peak season where you're anticipating increased volumes. Other components that we typically see in relation to this are going to be, let's say, now that we came off the 4th of July, is there maintenance and stuff on the equipment that we need to have in mind? When can we go ahead and set that? And then even workforce planning uh, are some other aspects at play here, right, that become crucial. And that's just to name a few. I know that JP and Sean have have quite a few other examples. I won't steal all their thunder here. Yeah, yeah. So, so one that comes to mind, and when you think in terms of staying in stock and, and supply chain, the metrics or measures, however you want to call it, the on time in full, is your order on time being delivered on time? Is it in full? Is everything that you ordered there? We have an insight in particularly where you can take action and, and improve your carrier network, right? Like you can look at who's bringing shipments where you can see, you know, who has great performance, who has opportunity to improve everything from the the regional to the local level, you can target and improve your retailer relationships by being, you know, having better performance there, working with retailers to and carriers to, to understand what are the root causes? Like, are these local carriers seeing some sort of common weather issue or routing issue for the shipments that you can tie back and we can actually show you in an insight, right? So you start with the insight and consuming the information and that leads to the action of going to have the conversation with your local carrier to say, hey, here's what we noticed in the data. Like, what can we do together to improve this? It's something that's super, super important as we're designing insights that we carry that actionability through. JP, you're talking a little bit here about like everyday decisions, right? And you brought up weather. So I, I really want to hear you share your story about weather situations where it's more of an ad hoc request, right? Like everybody's on the ground. What are some of the insights that we even have today that kind of highlight, uh, let's say, some of the seasonal opportunities that exist or things that are one-time occurrences, right, that actually impact a lot of individuals and a lot of products. Yeah. So so we actually have a really amazing severe weather sales insight, right? And so it's been really cool to be able to partner with weather data providers and point of sale providers to actually build something where you can see the impact of something like a hurricane, right? And you can follow within an insight, follow the pathway of a hurricane up the East Coast to where we're showing in an insight that pathway correlated with sales surges and measuring that and showing replenishment quantities to Sean's point earlier of how critical uh, replenishment is. Th this helps CPGs and retailers. If you leverage this uh, an insight like this, plan better, order in a smarter way, order in a more predictable way when you have it's hurricane season, you know, that's coming. I know that I get a 3x sales surge during hurricanes in these stores, like that is taking for the next one, taking action on the insights. And and along the same lines, JP, that's a great point. So pre pre hurricane, there's a lot of stock up. I got to, I got to buy certain things to be ready for the storm or to hunker down somewhere or I'm leaving home. So I've got to pack a bunch of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches or something post storm. There's cleanup. There's a lot of construction that happens. 
So that, that supply chain changes from stock up, I'm going to hunker down to, okay, the storm came through, there's damage, there's people coming back home. I know if you think about laundry detergent, sales of laundry detergent go through the roof after storms like that because everything's been flooded. All their clothes are ruined. They got to wash them. Uh, I know some of the bigger brands will, will roll in with big semis that are full of washers and dryers so people can have a place to do their laundry. Sean, just to pile onto that, you know, I think that the, the coolest part about having that data and actionability is like the fact that we can do it at, set, at a store item granularity, right? So we can tell you which stores need to have how much product before or after a storm. And I think that's really being able to do that at that level is, is really transformative when using something like this. Yeah, 100%. I mean, think of the value that a, a company like a Smucker, for example, in advance of a hurricane, the value that they bring to the retail partners when they're able to tell those partners, here's what we see coming. Here's how severe we think it's going to be. Here's the net effect on our products. And we're going to help you manage the load in, the stock up purchasing, and then the, the replenishment through the storm. And then we'll stage product in a safe place. So post-storm, we're able to, to push the peanut butter in because people are going to, again, make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. But it, it's a partnership, high value piece to the partnership. Not to mention it's real life too, right? Exactly. I want to make sure we're not making this a little too clear cut. Some of the people who have to work on these things and who get the insights have a lot going on during their day. One of the ways that have been that people have put information in front of them are just some dashboards and reports, and you get tons of these things. But Andrew Kim mentioned he had somebody who was doing something on the weekend, probably because the rest of the week was so full of other things. I'm interested, what are those things that these people face day in and day out? And what are some of the the things that keep them from being able to truly act on these insights? Ian, that's pretty straightforward. I mean, Dave just did this post where he talked about meetings, right? And <laughs> he did. How Spotify is working to kill some of those. That was a great post from him. Sorry, just to be clear, you're referring to David Hannibal, our chief product officer, posts on LinkedIn. So anybody who's listening, go take a look at LinkedIn. He uh, refers to a great post uh, that talks about the cost of meetings. Yeah, it was an incredible post about the cost of meetings. I think it said something like $1,600 is the average cost for, it was like a 30 minute meeting. And it doesn't surprise me. Uh, and as we talk about those meetings, those meetings are about the topics that I had mentioned, Hey, the data, we need that other 5%, right? What, where did it go? How can we clarify some of those components? And when I look at who the clients are from an actionability perspective, it, it does need to be bi-directional, right? And do you have a a party that has vested interest there, right? Which is why uh, here at Seek, we like using third parties because they want to make some money, right? So they're going to make sure that data for you is as clean as possible. And then from an insights perspective, right? Being actionable, that really is the key because if it's not, it doesn't drive any value, right? Which is that proliferation that you're talking about in regards to dashboards. And we're creating things because they look pretty, and really, that's where we, JP is king of this, right? In terms of refinement and driving it back to where it's it's simple, right? The KISS principle, hey, this is a simple dashboard and it's intended to be so because it needs to be quick to understand and quick to action on. 
and you need to be able to explain it to your executive cleanly, right? Or a buyer. So that way, collectively, you can make the decisions efficiently and drive value for your company. And if I could just jump in on that one too. So if you think about too, the weekend work, somebody's compiling data, creating reports, doing things on a Sunday and tools position a lot of those folks, those users of data, creators of analytics and insights, they give back their weekend, right? A lot of times those weekend, that weekend effort is because their counterpart at the retailer has a Monday morning meeting that is very standard where they go over what happened over the weekend and last week. And so most key, most strategic partners in a, from the brand community has to provide a recap to their buyer by a certain time on Monday morning. So it is a, I live here in Bentonville and it is a standard Sunday nights. People start to pull data that don't use third-party data providers. They will start to pull data and run their ports so they can get it to the buyer by a certain time Monday morning. Cause if they don't, that buyer goes into an executive meeting unprepared. And it's, it looks poorly, it reflects poorly on the brand who didn't provide the insights, the, the information. So speed is key. And also, you know, the day of the week is key for that information, Monday being the most important. So AK, you hit, you hit it on the head with that, giving people their weekends back. And it's, it has a lot to do with that, getting that information dis- distributed to the right people on, you know, first thing Monday morning. I also think it's really interesting what AK said about the amount of money per these meetings. And if the meetings are about this, then you can start talking about just how much internal money you're saving by having insights at hand and avoiding meetings, avoiding overwork, avoiding time on the weekend. So these things actually have a cross-company impact to the way the work is done and the way the company functions if it's done right. So the question that becomes is, how do you do it right for the individual, what has to be there to make it more useful for them to think about it this way, cut through all of the other noise that's going on. What can we do to make them very clear and almost like an alarm bell going off saying, watch me, watch me. JP, take a, take a swing at that. Yeah, I, I think it's tying it into a company objective or solving a, a urgent and expensive problem, I'll call it, right? That is ideally how you cut through the noise and, and how we design insights at Seek from my perspective is it's highlighting the annualized dollar opportunity that you get by expanding to these stores. It's sizing up the the number of out of stocks, right? It's making those things very clear and transparent and, and digestible across, again, going back to the roles, anyone from the day one entry-level analyst to the CEO who who is also interested in in those numbers, right? And so I think that I have like design opinions and like how do you, you know what sizes and shapes and things you use to actually translate that information, but it's it's really about solving that urgent and expensive problem, showcasing that, and then having it kind of be centralized for folks. I wish we could take that thought and put it into like an analyst brain or a, or a CEO's brain, because that is, you know, the good analysts are that, that I'm, that I'm familiar with are the ones that stack rank the opportunity. OTIF on time and in full, there's companies around town here that do business with Walmart. Let's say they're a $900 million business. That's huge. $30 million in fines. That's huge. <laughs> that's material. So of course that's going to bubble to the top. And then you start thinking about all the other revenue driven opportunities all the way down to like item store level replenishment, 
you know, you have to attack those biggest to smallest. Yeah. Thank you. And as we're looking at those opportunities, I give Steve Wexler the credit here for this one and the big book of dashboards bands. So big ass numbers. Uh, so get, forgive the cursing here, Ian, but basically I, I think it's worth it as we talk about those big numbers. That's what JP was mentioning and Sean's mentioning in regards to, hey, here's that number that's scary, right? And maybe it feels a little bit like an insurance tactic, right? Like we're trying to say, hey, you've got $10 million in fines, $30 million in fines that you're paying. Same is true even in the healthcare space, right? That number is scary. And whenever we look at it, we say, okay, well, how can we save lives, save fines, save time, right? All of these things. And then we're trying, we're all motivated to solve that one piece, right? Which is why whenever you look at control towers that we're building out or different executive level dashboards, that's their focus, right? From a key objective perspective is how do we make that number move directionally where we want it to? And there's all the little pieces underneath it that are there to support it. And our key is, okay, we'll start you off with that band. So we all have an idea of what the opportunity is. And as soon as you open it, right, JP, if someone opens one of the insights, literally they're going to have that, let's say in a few days or a week, right? Maybe you already know what your fines are, but there may be some other numbers that you aren't aware of, like the inventory that you're missing out on being able to sell, right? And then as we look at that, if we said, hey, I want to build that myself, that may take a few months to get the data together. It may be a lot of weekends and things that you're putting together. That's for one use case, right? And we're talking about a platform that is going to have hundreds of those. So is that something that, again, as we look at this and scale as a community, right, that we should all be trying to resolve the same things? I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. So like, how can we go in and, and really scale this? And I think that's where there's opportunities for us to help the data community at large. Maybe we won't be as fancy as chat GPT, right? But I think we've definitely got some smart individuals here, right? With lots of experience who can really drive opportunities for productivity improvements, right? As well as getting that next promotion or next bonus, right, that everyone's eager and looking for so they can help out with some of these inflation costs that are hitting us. And to that point, Andrew, if you think about it, every person in this process, whether you work for a brand and you're on the sales team, the replenishment team, you're an executive, you're a retailer, good buyers think of themselves as sellers, right? They have to consider how is it going to come off the shelf and out the front door through the register. We are part of this community. We have to think of ourselves as sellers and part of that sales process. We're all in this to sell more. Shit, pardon my French. Like that's why we're all doing this. <laughs> and, and that's what we're here. That's, that's what we are here to do. That's what these insights are here to do. That's what the analysts are here to do, et cetera. It's just sell more stuff. That's what we're all trying to do. Fantastic. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for this conversation. I've had a fantastic time. Hopefully you've enjoyed it as well. Before we head out, do you have any last piece of information that you would like to share either to or about the people who consume insights and the people we deal with every day? Andrew Kim, why don't you start? I think this is my virtual hug to you, Ian, is we thank you so much because we literally have, from a go-live perspective, free demos for insights. So you can go on our website, right, and try these out. And there's going to be some fun ones coming out. 
that JP and I are working on that relate to, to sports, to drinking, right? So that way you can enjoy some drinks on your weekend instead of working on reports. Drinking and sports. <laughs> drinking and sports, exactly. Yeah. That sounds like a fun weekend, right? It does. <laughs> and I think the other piece is if you're not seeing anything you're liking, again, we're, we have a solutions arm that I run, right? And we engage with these self-service analytics platforms, right? And our goal and objective is, again, to help you in your journey, right, become more actionable, insights-driven. And we have a lot of connections within the data provider space, right, to be able to do that. Terrific. GP, how about you? Yeah, I, I would just say, like, if you're someone listening that, you know, is even just kind of getting introduced to the idea of insights versus reporting versus dashboards, I, I would just encourage everyone to kind of think about the, the power of, of an insight versus just having data and, and what that can do and, and how you could be someone that consumes insights versus reports, someone that builds insights versus dashboards in that it's about taking the mindset of going, hey, I'm used to working with data or working with spreadsheets or something like that to going, I'm now working with insights and going from data-driven to being insights-driven is really where, where what I would encourage the mindset around because that, that, that's the shift we're trying to push here and, and we're super, super stoked on it. Excellent. Thanks, JP. Sean, you get the final word. Man, there's no top in that one. That one was perfect. Like the, Come on. it's it's as good as it yeah. gets right there. That was that was fantastic. Like <laughs> all right, I, I then think, we're done. To JP's point, don't be a button pusher. Be an analyst. Analysts don't get paid to to push buttons and quote unquote run reports. They get they get paid to dig, probe, ask a million questions, lots of whys, right? Five whys before you get to the end of the the question period. Ask a bunch of questions, uncover, probe, dig create an insight, not a report. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Seek, the leader in cloud-based creation and delivery of industry-focused insights. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, feel free to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.